Hey everyone, I'm Sina Hagiha and welcome to First Serve. The path to live a fulfilled and abundant life is to learn, grow and serve and that is what this podcast is all about. We will have guests on the show who are utilising their skills to make a positive impact to our world. Together we can gain a lot of insights, expand our knowledge and apply our learnings to serve others to the best of our abilities. Today's episode is from an interview I did with the Tech Allies Network last year on leadership. At the time, I was leading a global team who were responsible for delivering a multi-million dollar portfolio of projects, and it was my first leadership role. Since then, I've moved on to a different role due to organizational changes that were out of my control. And until now, it is definitely the most enjoyable and rewarding position I've had, and it enabled me to uncover my purpose, which is to serve others and to empower them to use their skills to the best of their abilities. My motivation was really to serve my team. I saw them like my family. It's what got me out of bed each morning. So when I had to move on, it was extremely difficult for me to accept and move on, especially when we had collectively laid the foundations to set us up for success in the future. So I was a bit disappointed that I couldn't see it through longer. In this episode, I discuss how I transitioned from an individual performer to a team leader, and I cover the challenges associated around being promoted within the same team, managing team members who are older than yourself, and talk about how to assemble a high-performing team. At the time of recording this episode, I thought that The target audience may have been those who also aspire to get into leadership positions within their organizations or they want to become their own leader by setting up their own company. And I reflected on this and saw it from another angle that we are all leaders. We're all leaders of our own lives. We're leaders within our friends and families. And if you want to get anything done, it does require leadership. If you want to experience change, it requires leadership. And most importantly, you can't do it alone. That's something I learned is that you need a team around you, a team that is aligned to your movement to achieve greatness collectively and edge everyone closer to their ambitions. It's about that collective leadership and co-creation, building strong relationships, unity and cohesion, not about causing divides or just running with your own agenda or ego. The other thing is you don't need a title to be a leader. And now more than ever, I think it is clear we need stronger leadership around us. If we all lead and lead effectively, we can make a difference to our own lives and society. Even though I provide examples from the workplace, I want you to think about it from a personal perspective. Think about how you can apply some of these leadership skills to assemble your dream team so you can rise together. Now let's jump into the episode. So briefly, who are you and what do you do? So I'm Sina Hagihat. I'm here to serve and empower people to be the best they can be. That's at a high level. But if we want to get into the details, I am the team lead for a group of business analysts and they basically deliver projects for Shell Canada in the retail space. So when you say you're here to do that for, for, for people, 
are those people your team or are they for everyone and that you get in contact with i imagine that's quite difficult to do for everyone so how do you break that down yeah i mean first and foremost i'm there for my team but i try and do that with everyone and even people outside of work but yeah in the role it's my direct reports that i'm there for the most okay so in practice what does your day-to-day actually look like as a day-to-day it's you know really speaking with my team members each day so i speak to individuals on a day-to-day basis trying to see what challenges they have what blockers they have can i remove any of those blockers also looking at their personal development is there anything we can do to take them to the next level it's also getting in touch with the project managers program managers stakeholders and working with the vendors so it sounds like it's touching base with the team to make sure that they're on track and they can do what they want and then making sure that the bigger picture is on track by getting in touch with the project managers is that right yeah yeah so i try to give my team as much autonomy as possible so they could do things in their own way i don't like telling them what to do i'm there for more of a consultant that they can use me as a soundboard and bounce ideas off me and I can guide them in the right direction but I try not to tell them exactly what to do. And did you always work this way or since you became a manager is that something you learned it was the most effective way of doing it? Yeah to be honest because I was an individual performer before it's hard to change that mindset so as an individual performer, you're looking after yourself a lot. You're not really thinking about the others. You just want to achieve your goals. Now, when you become a manager, you have to change your mindset. And it's hard to let go of some of the things that you used to do as an individual performer. So one of the downfalls is that it may look like you're over-managing people and telling people that, this is the way you should do it because this is the way I used to do it. And when you get promoted in role, you are obviously promoted because you were good at doing those things yourself. So one of the challenges is being able to switch off, being able to let go of some of those things that you were good at doing. And that's the reason you did get promoted, but to let your team figure it out for themselves. So, you're saying it's kind of more of a hands-off approach where you, you can let them make their own mistakes or let them work out the efficiencies themselves because if you were doing that, then it would just be too much micromanagement. Yeah, I think that's one of the consequences of, or one of the learnings of moving from an individual performer to a, to a manager is that you could end up micromanaging, over-managing when you're just trying to help. But I feel that you should let people do things in their own way and your way is not necessarily the best way but making sure that you're there for them if they do need some guidance and that they can fail fast and you're there to intervene if things are going off track and so when you were when you were an individual performer you were a data analyst you're an application specialist so those are quite technical roles does that translate do you still have a technical focus in your current role when you're managing other technical people or is it more of a backseat more of a business focus now so it's a it's a mixture of both i feel 
I have the business aspect to it and also bring in the technical knowledge because we do need to understand the technical solution in my role. And I feel that you could speak better to the vendors if you do have that technical input and they can really take you for a ride if you don't have that technical knowledge. And it's something that your team members look up to you as well when they see you as a subject matter expert in that field. So I think it builds credibility if you do have that technical background. So when you moving on from having those skills and experiences as a technical individual, and now you're moving to a managerial position, how did you acquire these new skills and experiences in order to transition into a managerial role? Yeah, so I think one of the key reasons of getting promoted is because you were good at delivering what you were asked to do. And the other aspect to it is that you were good at working with people. So having strong relationships with people is key. And always being able to put your team members first. And because you were in that position before, you can relate to your team members much better. You understand the challenges they're going through. You understand some of the blockers they're facing. So in that sense, because I was promoted in role, I can empathize with my team members a bit more and I have a better understanding on what they expect of their manager. I think that's really interesting, kind of talking about how the, you should be aware of why you're promoted, that you know, if you're good with working with skills and that's been identified by your management, then sometimes I think people don't often recognize some of their own strengths or sometimes nervous about that. So if you're being presented with this new opportunity as a manager, that can be quite daunting. So I guess if you're focusing on what people have identified in you, like being good with people, that must be really a nice feeling and something that you should probably remember in the hard moments to try to tap into those skills that have been identified that you've developed. Yeah, for sure. As a young manager, I think, one of the things that is always in your, the back of your mind is, am I inexperienced? Am I too young to be in this role? And I think the word experience or inexperienced is sometimes not understood that well in this context, because I think in most cases, experience is seen as how many years has that person been working for? But my understanding is, of experiences, what has that person gone through? What have they learned? What are the emotions they felt? What were the challenges and how did they overcome them? So when I think about someone with 20 years experience doing the same thing for 20 years, the exact same position, same job task, is that person really experienced or are they just really skilled at that? particular competency so I, I don't really let it phase me when when people think I'm inexperienced because of my age always think back to the reason why you were put in the, into the position and there's obviously people in the organization that believe in you and trust that you could do a good job in this role and so I guess that's really important for times when you're struggling or when you're a bit apprehensive about the position but in terms of a practical plan for when you became a manager, you know, what were you feeling in terms of something that you could organize and put into action? Yeah. 
<laughs> to be honest, when it came to it, I didn't really have a plan at all. It happened quite quickly. But something I really wanted to work on was making improvements because when you're in the team as a business analyst yourself, you're constantly thinking of things you can improve. But the thing is, you don't really think about the strategy on how to implement those improvements. So when I came in as a manager, there were loads of things that I wanted to change. But now I had to think about the strategy and how I could actually implement that change. The other thing I reflected on was what are the good attributes from my previous managers? What are the attributes that weren't so good? And how can I be the manager that I've always wanted to my team members? So I've tried to work on all those good attributes that I've appreciated and I'm still working on it today. So still a long way to go. But it looks like you've done well so far. So should people be thinking about how to promote changes within their business, within their area beforehand? So before they ever get promoted, you kind of preempt that by thinking, oh, this process, I think we could do differently. And then thinking about that in advance, would that be something that you'd advise to somebody who's potentially thinking of becoming a young manager? Yeah, for sure. If they can identify those opportunities up front and prepare for that, especially if they know that they're going to be promoted, they can put in the groundwork beforehand. But it's difficult when you're not the manager at that point because for any change, you need support and backing to, to make that change go through. So when you're an individual team member, it's a bit more difficult. But as you move higher into the organization, it's a bit easier to implement some of the changes and behaviors that you're looking for. Are there any other challenges that when you're transitioning from an individual performer to a manager that become apparent? Like I said before, I think the main thing is the overmanaging aspect of it. You could come across like you're overmanaging because you have been doing those things yourself, so you can't let go of certain things. So are there any techniques that you use when you, you need to delegate work because you're a manager now? And this was something that you were skilled at beforehand. Do you have any advice or anything that you'd say to somebody to try to help them to be able to delegate? What did you use? What do you use when you're trying to delegate work to a team member? This is a tough one. And to be honest, delegation is one of the areas that I need to improve on. I feel when you're an individual performer, you don't really have much experience in delegating because you tend to be on the receiving end of it most of the time. You're not going around telling people to do certain things or delegating work to others. So I think when you make that transition, it's a completely new area to yourself. But one of the things I think helps with delegation is setting the expectations up front. What do you expect from your team? Because when it then comes to delegating tasks to team members, it's not a surprise to them as to why you're delegating that work. They know exactly what that piece of work is for and how it contributes to the strategy or the bottom line. And there's certain challenges with delegation that I've learned over time. There's different scenarios for delegating. You might want to delegate because that person is really skilled at doing that certain activity. So you delegate it to that person. They can get the job done. Another scenario is that 
you want to delegate something to someone because it's a development area for them. So you want them to learn something from it. And another scenario could be that you actually want to put someone to the test and, and see whether they can do something, even if it's completely not within their area or their skill set. But there's different circumstances for applying these things. It all depends on the the urgency and the priority of the work. So if it's high priority and high urgency, you're most likely to delegate it to someone that has done that activity before or is really good at doing that. If it's lower priority, lower urgency, you might give someone time to just have a go and see how they feel about doing those things. And for those people on the team that are the experienced people, perhaps those that are older, especially if you're a young manager that are coming in and you're managing people that are older than you, do you do, you do that in your, in your role? Yeah, I'm actually the youngest person in my team. Right, so, so how, how do you deal with that? What are the, I don't even know how, to, if I was going into that kind of role, I guess I'd feel really nervous about that kind of situation. It is tough dealing with people that are older than you because I think they might have that expectation where they feel they, they want someone more experienced. But like I said before, you need to just remind yourself why you're here and what you can bring to the table. There's a reason why you are where you are. There's people that have faith in you. So just demonstrate those skills and if the older team members are slightly skeptical about your abilities over time you can manage to show why you're here and that you're here to help them and that you do have the right skills so it's kind of like building up that trust yeah is if it if it's a new team they don't really know your history or your background they don't know all the personal things you went through as well to build up those leadership attributes so if someone's new to the team they don't really see all those aspects they just see you know a young guy still in his 20s like what does this guy know about leading a team but there's a lot of personal experiences that also build your leadership attributes that they don't necessarily know about until they get to know you better so i think People should write people off just on, based on age. And if you are going into a new team like that, I've heard it's a good idea to get to know the people that you're going to manage personally beforehand by like maybe taking them out for a coffee or for a lunch or something. And as someone who manages people, as I understand it, re- remotely in Canada and India, so simple tactics like that don't really work. So how do you manage to get to know the people properly in this remote working environment? To be honest, I was fortunate enough to spend time with them in both India and Canada so I got to know them on quite a personal level so in that sense yeah, I was I was fortunate to spend time with them but if I didn't get that opportunity it would be really challenging to get to know them and I think there's certain things you can do is making sure that you have that constant engagement you can have you know, video conference calls, making sure you have all the documentation, documented processes and learning materials. So those are techniques you can use to make sure everyone's aligned with the strategy and 
working closely together. So does that mean that the personal side takes a back seat because it's the only time that you're speaking to each other really is is on these video calls? So that means that there's less time to bond in a personal capacity. I know some people say that you shouldn't mix like personal stuff with business or professional stuff, but I honestly feel that you should. We spend you know, most of our days with the people we work probably more than we do at home. So you should get to know people on a personal level. And I do with all of my team members. I think sometimes you need to switch off from work and understand that you know, we're all human beings. At the end of the day, we all have you know, struggles or things we're going through at home. It could be health related as well. So making sure my team are comfortable to speak to me about things outside of work is the key to building that foundation of trust. And I feel that we are at that level with my team where they can reach out if there's personal things going on as well. So does that take place over the phone or over a, a Skype or Zoom or some kind of video call? Yeah, yeah, sure. And is that exactly the same as in person or is there a different twist to it? It's obviously slightly different when you're not there in person, you miss body language, you miss emotions. And especially when it comes to providing feedback, I think it's really challenging over the phone. You can't express how you're feeling. You can't gauge how that other person is reacting. You don't know if people are multitasking in the background. Are they, are they actually listening to what you're saying? Those are the challenges of working remotely, I'd say. And the other one is not being able to just jump into a meeting room to scribble stuff on the whiteboard. You have to literally arrange a conference call for everything you want to discuss. So some of those things are the challenges that you face with remote working. But besides using some of the techniques I mentioned earlier, there's not much more you could do to make it better. Maybe touch on the things that you spoke about earlier, but what are the main things that you do in order to try to balance out this working in a remote environment to make it seem more as though you're co-located? What I've done recently with my team in both India and Canada is making sure they buddy up with each other. So you have business analysts working with each other across the different locations on a certain project or a certain activity. That way you create that one team mindset. So that's one of the techniques. The other one is making sure we have regular engagements. So we're always meeting up on a frequent basis. We understand what each person is working on. We have the video conferences normally on a monthly basis. And because I think it's also quite challenging, I imagine, from a time zone perspective, I'm looking, I mean, like the difference between India and, and Canada is like nine and a half hours. Yeah. Apparently from that's what that's what Google's telling me between <laughs> Ottawa, Ottawa and India. OK, uh, yeah, that is a challenge and that will always remain a challenge, the time zones. But so does that mean that your teams actually work in those different time zones? Yeah, so what my team in India does is they work the later shift. So just to ensure that we have some overlap with Canada, so we get only two or three hours max overlap 
with Canada, so it's not much time that they get with that team. But then what you do get is probably very essential. Yeah, so I just make sure that they arrange their meetings and their evenings and the mornings in Canada and have that exchange at that time. And I'm kind of <laughs> bang in the middle in, in London, so I'm in between the two time zones. Do you think that's necessary to have that time where you are all available to get on a call? Yeah, for sure. And that's the time we you know, we block and block in advance to make sure there's nothing that gets in the way of that because that's the only time we can have together with each other. And so especially in that kind of scenario, but also more in general, how do you build a high-performing team? So to build a high-performing team, there's one book that I really like. It's called Drive by Daniel Pink. don't know if you've come across that one. I have not. But yeah, it's one of my favorite books. He talks about three things to motivate us or three things that drives us. So the first one is autonomy. So allowing people to do things in the way that they like to do things, giving them that freedom to express themselves as long as they get the work done, doesn't really matter how they do it. The second one is purpose. So team members need to know exactly why they're doing what they're doing. I think a lot of the times people do work and they don't really know why they're doing it. So always relate back to the strategy and the vision of the company, the bottom line. What you're doing is contributing to X, and this is why you're doing it. So they need to have a clear purpose. The third one is mastery. So mastery is about always seeking to improve, seeking to get better. You're never going to have all of the knowledge. And that's what it means by mastery is that you'll always get closer and closer to mastery, but you'll never get there. And if you have that mindset, it means that you need to keep learning and keep improving. You're never going to know it all. And if you have those three attributes, I think it motivates you and drives you to do well at work. So what I'm trying to do is incorporate some of those things at work and make sure that I provide them the purpose, mastery and autonomy. And so does it ever happen that you're trying to give someone that autonomy, but they just don't get on with the projects? You're trying to give them the purpose, but they just don't really care and they have no real drive to become better. Do you, do you have that? And then if so, what do you do in that situation? I mean, you're going to have a team of mixed individuals or not everyone's going to be the same in your team. You're going to have people with more drive and enthusiasm than others. You're going to have some people that you know, want to do the bare minimum and they get the work done, but don't really want to exceed expectations. So you have to change your managerial style based on the type of people in your team. So. This is a whole topic in itself, but, you know, just being able to adapt to those different people, being able to identify that you do have these different characteristics within your team and how to change your managerial style 
to make it more effective to communicate to those team members. And so we've spoken a lot about the managerial side, but I guess briefly, obviously, we're, we're here at Shell. We're here at Shell in London. And that area is, I mean, managers in every, every company, but Shell specifically focuses, its, its upstream side is on you know, oil and um, drilling for, for, for oil and gas. And the downstream, the downstream side is selling that to customers. So how do you build up that background knowledge? Because your background is not in the sector, it's in technology and business. So that was, you know, digging for oil is not mentioned in your degree. So how do you pick up the skills to be able to talk confidently about these topics when you're in the business? Yeah, that's a really good question. And this is for those people that may be a bit skeptical about jumping from one industry to another or one team to another. I'd say it can be done. And something I've shown within my different roles within this company, I've moved to completely different parts of the organization. And like you said, I didn't have any oil and gas experience. But what I think we need to focus on is your strengths. So we all have these core strengths that we bring to the table. And the business knowledge will come along the way. So how can you apply those core strengths to help people, help someone, help a team, and the business knowledge you'll pick up along the way. So I'll give you an example. In my first role, I was working with geomatics and exploration and looking at well data and seismic data. I didn't have a clue about all of that stuff. Didn't know much about coordinates and coordinate reference systems and well deviation, <laughs> directional surveys. So what I had to do was think about what I can bring to the table. So when I'm speaking to those guys in the business, they all have a geoscience background. So how can I communicate to them? How can I add value to them? And you just need to look at your skills. So mine were, I'm quite analytical. I can provide solutions. I can improve processes by cutting inefficiencies and cutting costs. So would those skills be beneficial to them? I think yes. So what I would do is sit down with those people in the business and ask them, what are your problems? What are your pain points? Let's walk through the process for this challenge that you're having. And let's map it out on a whiteboard and show me the pain points. Through that process mapping, I managed to learn a lot about what they do. And facilitating that discussion helps you learn as well. So asking why is this done a certain way? Why are we doing this before that? That in itself is a learning experience and it is disguised kind of. So you're learning but you're also helping them at the same time. And it's challenging at first because you don't have that business knowledge and you can't speak their language. But once you get your foot in the door and you give a few examples and deliver some value, you then become known for that person that you know, saved X amount or reduced the time of this process by X amount. Once you've got that and then you've built your 
like business knowledge and the background, then you start to become seen as, you know, a person that can add value. So it does take time if you don't have that experience, but I feel that we all have a core set of skills that we can bring to the table, no matter what industry we're in. And the industry knowledge always comes down the line. So you said that you've, you've moved around to different areas. Can you briefly touch on which areas you have moved into and how varied they are? Yeah, so I started in, in upstream business. So that's geomatics and well data management. So this is trying to find the oil. Yeah, so geomatics team is, if you think about it, like the Google Maps team of Shell. So they're looking at plotting where all of our assets are, all of our wells are. They work with the offshore teams that actually go and drill and the locations and they work with exploration for the seismic data. So they're basically looking at location and spatializing the data. Then moved to um, Norway, where I was working the exploration team, mainly looking at seismic data, and then moved to production, which basically has sensors on. We had sensors on all of the equipment in our platform, so we're trying to maximize the production from our platforms reduce downtime, try to make the most out of our assets. And also you can use those sensors for predictive maintenance. So you can predict when certain things are going to fail, you can replace it before it fails. So it's all about reducing the site site downtime for failures and also maximizing production. So that role kind of sounds like adding the internet of things into the pipeline, the literal pipeline. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Interesting. And so have you worked at all in the downstream side to the, the actual selling to consumers? Yeah, so my current role today, I'm in downstream, so in retail. So that involves overseeing the petrol stations and the solutions that go into the petrol station. So anything from the point of sale to the pin pad or the software at the site, the fuel dispensers as well so we're looking at all the systems at the petrol station basically and so when you go in to these new areas you're saying that the questions that you and your team ask are what do you do why are you doing it that way and then you try to demonstrate early wins to show we can streamline this and we can make it better and then that way they trust you and at the same time you're learning about this new part of the business. Yeah, so what I mentioned earlier was my personal experience for breaking into those new parts of the business that you have no business knowledge on. Because I think that's a technique to really show people what you can do and normally you will have subject matter experts that are willing to spend some time with you and give you that knowledge. In other areas, you may not have those people around or it might be, or that area might not be as mature as some other areas where they don't have all that knowledge captured or they don't have people that have been there for a long time and have maintained that knowledge. 
sometimes you go into a new area and there's not many experienced people around that can train people. So sometimes it's about starting from scratch but and exploring together. So I'd say where my team was a couple of years ago, it's it's a fast changing environment. We didn't have that much documentation. Most of my team members were new, so it was actually me that provided them all the knowledge transfer to get them up to speed. And so then develop these new processes as well. Yeah. So I imagine develop the documentation. Yeah, for and, sure. Right. So trying to make it sustainable for future team members that come through over the next couple of years. So overall, is there one area of focus that you think a young manager who's in a similar situation or similar position as you, you've just come into a new role, you've been an individual performer, you're now a young manager managing people and managing an area of the business what should you focus on first and foremost? I think for me, the most important thing is being present. So the most valuable thing you can give someone is your time. So put aside that time for your team. I know I've had previous managers where it's hard to catch them or you miss your one-to-ones or you miss your meetings with them and they haven't been around for you or to give feedback or to give you guidance and support. I think that's your number one priority as a leader is to be around for your team. That should be your number one priority. And what are your biggest learnings as a manager? I'd say biggest learnings is, so one would be demonstrate that you care for your team. Their health and well-being is um, at my priority. If I feel that they've got too much work on their plate or they're getting close to burning out, then we need to address that. The other thing is provide recognition to them when they do well. And it isn't always about monetary rewards, even calling their name out when they've done something well. That means a lot. So what I have is actually an area in my team meetings that allows people for that open dialogue and to recognize other team members or other colleagues that they've worked with. Other things would be setting a clear direction. So your team needs to know exactly what they're doing, why they're doing it, how can they be measured for success, how their work meets the overall strategy or the bottom line and I don't think it's something you can change often it's something that you need to set at the beginning and people need to follow that path leading by example is another thing I've learned being able to give feedback in an open and honest way it's that way if you're giving that then you're setting the example for your team so they can give it back to you as well. So it shouldn't just be one-way communication where I'm giving feedback, but they should also feel comfortable to tell me things that I can improve on. And we can't expect our team to be different or act in a different way if, if I'm not acting that way. So if I'm late to meetings, I can't be annoyed that my team member is late to meetings. So leading by example is another area that I've learned. 
another key one is being able to show vulnerability. I feel that as a leader, you set this expectation on yourself that you have all the answers or you should know all the answers. But in fact, putting your hands up and saying, no, I actually don't know the answer builds a lot of credibility. So vulnerability builds credibility. And your team respect that a lot more when you are honest that you don't know the answer. So the way I approach it is, I honestly don't know. I could go find out for you or point them into the right direction. Go ask this person. He or she will be able to help you out. I'd say those are the key ones. And the other, I'd say a final one would be to create like a sense of flow. And I've, I think that's the end goal of a, a leader is to, when you know you've done your job well, is to sit back and watch everything in flow. So everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone knows who to go to. Everyone's quite relaxed and comfortable. I think that's really hard to get to that level, but I have seen glimpses of it recently where I have sat back and I'm quite happy with the way things are going. And it's quite a relief because you spend, especially in the new team, the first few months, like firefighting, make sure you get the ways of working right, you get the processes set up, you train the people. But once they're trained and we all have that right mindset, it's the best feeling to sit back and just look at them perform. I think that's a really fantastic way to finish on. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks a lot for having me. And that was my interview on leading a team. The key messages I want to highlight are that you can all be servant leaders and that we all should be tapping into our skills to bring value to others. How can you serve others whilst also creating an environment for others to serve you? If you want to go on a journey, you have to inspire others to join you on that trip by creating a sense of community and a safe environment for open and honest dialogue where you instill a shared vision and provide a platform for growth. Remember that you can't do anything by yourself and that you shouldn't do everything by yourself. Delegate to others who have expertise in that area. It's not about bossing people around. It's the intention that matters. Are they going to benefit from helping you out on this activity? Also, it's important to get everyone involved in the decision-making process. Listen to different viewpoints. Give people your time and stay engaged. Lead from the back, not from the front. And that's it. Reflect on this episode and explore what you can apply to your daily lives. Your team are the people in your circle. It's not just the people at work. If you want to succeed, people should want to serve you because of who you are as a human being and the impact you have had on their lives. People will always serve you for a price, but those who go to another level have a network around them who help each other out because they genuinely want you to succeed. It's not transactional. If you are thinking of moving from an individual contributor role to a leadership role at work or plan to do so at some point, I have a blog post of my learnings on my website and I will leave the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit subscribe so you can get a notification when a new episode is released. Also share it with your friends and family or whoever you think 
would be interested in this episode i would really appreciate it if you left a review on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast if you want to reach out to myself you can find me on instagram i'll leave the info in the show notes and i'll see you all in the next episode